Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for your beautiful Sabbath day. We thank you for an opportunity to hear the work that you are doing um, in many mission fields across the world, and especially in Jessica's field that you have called her to. Father, we ask that we can hear what you have to share this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen. Jessica Trin was born and raised in Southern California. She grew up in an Adventist church and began her professional relationship with God when he called her into ministry. God blessed her with a job as the coordinator for BibleInfo.com under the Voice of Prophecy Bible School in 2009. But in 2014, God called her to overseas ministry in Southeast Asia. She is now committed to be there until Jesus says otherwise. She hopes to inspire as many people as possible to become a part of the overseas work as God keeps open the doors for places that have been difficult to reach. Welcome back, Jessica. We're looking forward to hearing from you. Again, um, it's been such a blessing to be able to share and uh, speak of just the blessings that God has um, given to me. You know, when it comes to the uh, work overseas, um, I know that for myself, like it was something that was in my heart and I was interested in, but there was a large part of me that was just intimidated and sort of like by scared of this unknown. Like, what does that mean? Am I going to the jungle? Am I going to be living in the desert? And um, it that that intimidation for for someone like me, very homebody, sort of introverted, um, it kept me. It kept me from really giving God the chance to ask because it felt like such this unreachable, untouchable kind of um, just task. But, and so I hope that um, what I share is able to encourage somebody and to sort of just give a glimpse and a taste of um, my experience and uh, that to just really give the, uh, I just really want to, if, to give the, the feeling that really anybody can do it. If someone like me can do it, anybody can do it so long as you are willing and that you have a heart to tell people about Jesus because of what he is, to, of who he is to you. Um, so I have lived, um, I have served a total of three years overseas in Southeast Asia. Um, one year I served in a small country and so some of the stories um, I will be sharing will be first from um, the, the one country first. They're both close countries. And so I'm, I'm trying to tread carefully, but uh, I served in a small country and also a closed country. And then um, I am now presently, and I have done now two years and in the second, in another country right next door. Um, um, and, in, and being in a closed country, um, it's, it's not like, you know, you can simply just knock on someone's door and, and hope that by giving them a, a glow track, the doors of hope and uh, the doors of heaven will open. Um, we have, you know, I know of experiences of people who, who have, but um, it's a little more complicated just because of this, the situation of the, of the society. And um, there's definitely a lot of stigma in terms of what, um, what a Christian is and, you know, who they have been portrayed because for the average person of where I have served, um, being a Christian looks like what you would turn on the TV, uh, sort of the immodest drinking, uh, just very 
open and brash kind of that's that's what they think a Christian is what they see on TV. And so you, you sort of have to work through a stigma and then the other aspects of other things that make it very challenging of um, in terms of culture and thinking and being able to bridge that and then so you can't just hope that maybe you can give thousands of tracks and hope that it will somehow reach people. There, there can be miracles, but um, really the, the, the way to reach people in these places is through relationships and praise God. You know, you don't have to be a Doug Bachelor, but if you know how to make friends, you can share Jesus. So um, let me go ahead and put this up here. The overall title of my message, um, it's going to be under so late. As I said, um, I served in the first country that I served in. It, um, it's a small country of about uh, just 7 million, very devout Buddhist country. Yeah, they are the type, this, this picture is actually from a festival that happens yearly where everyone from the entire country will come and they will be there at 5 a.m. They are the kind of, um, it's a devout um, Buddhism where you are going to uh, see people wake up in the morning to meet. You will, you will have a, a line of monks walking down and they will kneel as the monks pass by at five in the morning because they are hoping for a blessing from the monks upon their businesses, upon the work that they will do that day. And um, outside of every house, you're gonna see a little, little uh, what looks like a little birdhouse. It's actually a spirit house in this country. And they believe that you need a house for the spirits. You know, when you think of a country like this where you're, you need time, um, it's, I think it's amazing that you don't need to be of any kind of special, um, super professional skill. How most of the people on the team that I worked with when I was there, we were able to get in the country simply because we were English uh, speakers, we're native English speakers, and we were there to teach English. And you know, just to give you an idea of what it looked like to serve in this place, um, you know, we had, we would have, we would teach our classes and then we would be able to connect with our students. Our, um, the places where we lived was right next to the English school. And after, um, after class, every time they'd come over, we'd teach them how to like, that's vegan cheese right there. We teach them how to make it with nutritional yeast flakes. And like, Ooh, what is this? You know, and it tastes so good teacher. It was vegan. Really? You know, and there, there was a point where you, we, they were coming to our house and they're staying there from like not 8.30 until 10.30 until 11, you know, just, but the thing is you make yourself available to them and you invite them into your lives. Like, and you do little things like have birthday, you know, celebrate their birthday with them. And just through those interactions of making friends, they then invite you into their life. And we would, um, by able being able to talk to them and teach them something better. You know, this young man in the middle with the birthday cake, I remember when I first met him and I, and he had already been studying at this English school for a couple of years now. And I asked him, so like, what do you think of the school? And he's like, I like it here. You know, it's, it's different. 
the, you just it's different just even in the atmosphere and in the in the area when i'm in regular school you know it's it's cutthroat it's competition everybody's trying to step on each other and and you know one up each other but here in the classroom the teachers they they make us like help each other up we're there to build each other we don't tear each other down we help each other no one looks makes each other feel stupid something so simple as that and he could experience the atmosphere of being in a christian influenced english school we were just in english school but the influence of our principles so permeated the atmosphere of the school that the students could notice and you know what just some months after i met him this would have been probably about seven months into my term uh, six months into my term there he actually he's he's over at our house as normal and he looks to his to, to his teacher and he tells and he tells her have you told them yet have you told the other teachers yet that i'm a christian now and i remember like what where in the world did this come from turns out he said that months ago one of the teachers invited me to the church and i could only join for the sabbath school but when i came into that sabbath school and i saw a table with surrounded by people who are reading from this book and that the purpose of why they were reading this book was to become better people i knew that was it because in his culture for him when people want something better you pay money to the monks you want they and the monks they promise a better life they pr promise better things they say give us more money and we'll give you better things give us more money and things will become better and even this 17 year old he was able to even distinguish and think that's not going to make people better that's not going to make life better and he comes and compares to this sabbath school of people sitting around and he said these people are actually wanting to become better people that's the answer Praise the Lord, you know, we were able to, you know, you invite them into your lives and then we are able to invite them into Bible studies. And in the, since the time that I have been there, you know, just like Bible studies, when I say it's, it's just simply every Friday night, they have a little gathering where they eat together, they sing songs and they do a Bible study. It's, that's, that's all. But through that simple Friday night study, this picture on the side, those are all the people that have come through the friendships of English teachers who then invited them to be a part of this little community and they became Christians. They're baptized. They're all ages from like, they're all in their young twenties. You know, it's, it's, it blows my mind because like, this is a country where it costs something to become a Christian. You lose family, you lose friendships. You could, be ostracized and you can be put in danger for making that choice. And here, these young people make the choice because they find, they find the treasure of the gospel in it. You know, I, the young man in the striped shirt, you, when, you, when you meet him, he is so lively, so gregarious, you wouldn't have a clue about his backstory. Because if you were to know his backstory, you'd find out he was a very sad man. He was a very sad young man. He, um, he grew up when he was very young. His parents abandoned him 
they at about three years old. They never spoke to him. They never came to see him. And they only lived 30 minutes away from him. And this tormented his mind to the point that in that country, they don't even have really libraries. So he would cross the border into the country next door just to go to the library to look up psychology books to try and understand why don't my parents love me? How could they abandon me? And he felt like he was always in this search for understanding to get it. And he, um, he started coming. Someone, one of the English teachers invited him to the Friday night studies. And he said that the moment that he got there and he started reading the Bible, he said, I found it. I found what I've been looking for all my life. He found it in God. And, you know, at that time he had sort of, he was actually just sort of uh, getting into the club scene and he was drinking. But when he came to these Friday night studies, he stopped going. He said that it's not as, it's, it doesn't, what he gets from those Friday night meetings, they were, they were so much better than whatever he was looking for in drinking and clubbing. He even changed his work schedule so that he could go attend these Friday meetings. He already was changing his work schedule like a Sabbath keeper before even becoming a believer. Months later, um, less than a year later, he got baptized. This young lady on the side, I remember when I first met her and one of our teachers, she she worked, um, she was she was really, she labored. She was a labor of love for this student. And um, she, our, our friend, the teacher, she would, she would message us. She's like, please pray for her. Please pray for my student. You know, she's so depressed and she's dealing with these thoughts of just depression and suicide. And, you know, our friend um, had her as a student and there would be days that this student would come in drunk into her English class. But she became friends with her and she invested in her. And even to the point that, you know, there would be days, there would be times that our friend would go bar to bar to bar looking for the student out of love to go find her. Now she's left that life. She found that God is a father. Turns out, you know, why she was so sad inside was because she, she didn't feel like she was getting the love and attention she needed from her parents. But she has, look at that smile on her face. She has found Jesus. And she has, she is now becoming one of the first medical missionaries being trained for the country. I could tell you story after story after story, you know, um, but this, this picture of in the corner, the top corner, starting from the one in the blue shirt, she was a PT. The next one, she was a professional hairstylist. Me, I didn't really have, I was just a religion major. Next one, English major. Next one, he's a nurse. Next one, she was a hotel events planner. Next one, she was a lawyer. Next one, psychologist. None of those are pastors. None of those are evangelists. We're regular people who are, are simple uh, main ability, except for the lawyer. Our main skill level was that we could teach English. And we made friends with the people there. And by the grace of God, God blessed through prayers, through, through simply our act of willing to be a part of their life and show them a love that, you know, there's just something, this is my speculation. But in a country where you don't know that there's such thing or believe that there's a deity or someone who cares about you, it doesn't just affect you, but it seems to seep into the rest of society. 
and to many other relationships. They are very, very communal society, but their love and relationships are very shallow. I cannot tell you how many students, you know, I, I, I showed care to them and they felt over the moon. I, I know of so many students that would say like, teacher, why do you care? Why do you guys care about us, care for us more than our friends? And for the even closer ones who would tell us and open up and say like, teacher, why do you care about us? Why do you care about me more than my own family? They are so hungry and thirsty for love. That they, that relationships is, is the way to actually reach them. It's what they're open to. You can open the Bible to them, but it's not going to come through. But when you open a heart of love to them, it finally shows them in a more practical and pragmatic way that what you believe actually makes a difference and matters. You know, and so my experiences over in my first year experience made such a significant difference in, um, I wonder if this is gonna work here. Uh, I know it can be laggy. Oh, maybe it won't work. <laughs> so I finished my one year in that country. And it was after I finished that one year that um, I was asked to actually go to the country where I am now. I have now served two years in that country and I'm gonna be there until Jesus tells me otherwise, maybe till he comes, I don't know. It's a country that um, is as a population of about 95 million. And it's about the size of California, but that's two and a half times more people. It's a it's Buddhist, but mainly the country is ancestor worship. Inside the country itself, there are 69 people groups. So groups of um, that could be even like up to a thousand to a hundred thousand people with their own culture, their own language. And um, sometimes the people groups, they can be believers of animism to Hinduism to Buddhism, Muslim. And the country is also one of the last five communist countries um, there. In the same way, uh, being in that kind of environment, um, I am actually, our team is working with a center of influence. When we say a center of influence, um, it's a place where we offer services to the community um, to help us build relationships with people. And then as we build relationships, we then share with them the gospel to those who are open. This is actually um, where, we, where I am serving as a, I'm simply teaching English. Uh, we also offer cooking classes. Um, this is my English class. And uh, the young man all the way at the end there. He's, a, he's like a little brother to me. He, um, when I first met him, uh, he, you know, he didn't know very much English, but I actually met him inside the church. And I talked to him and, I, and I'm wondering who this guy is because I'm like, oh, it's a young guy. Turns out he's not a believer. <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> who comes here? And I'm like, so you come here? for your Saturday morning and like, yeah. And I was so, I was like, so baffled because what young person sits through, um, well, not your typical, uh, very, you know, it's very simple church service, <laughs> gives up their Saturday mornings to sit through these meetings. And then he actually even participates in the potluck. 
And uh, he actually told me that, you know, I come here because I can see the people. They're good people. Turns out this young man, he started coming to the church because he had joined one of the English classes for free, that were free. His English was so little, but um, as he became friends with the teachers and they invited him and he started coming to the church and that's where I met him. It's, he's a 22 year old young man, just a, a law student. And now um, because of the relationship we have with him, like he's now, he's now working in our center of influence and he, is, he just has such a heart of gold. But that's pretty much the concept. You provide a service, build relationship, and you bring them into your circle of influence to know about the gospel. Um, I must have missed it. But um, alongside with the, the cooking classes and the English class, we actually have, sorry about that. Oh, there we go. I've switched up the slides. We actually even have a VBS. Um, now, we wouldn't be able to directly say that. We, we say that we're teaching English to the young kids in the community. And we're teaching them how to cook. We're teaching them how to, um, we are, you know, this year we actually taught them the days of creation. And this was actually our second year of doing it. All this, all these kids pretty much, they're all from the community. Not one of them is Christian. Our friend who we asked to help she, she, I remember when she first helped us, she was like, wow, I never would have imagined sharing the Bible with these little communist kids. You know, we, this is our second year because the first year we did it, we did a little English camp VBS and we taught them New Start. The kids loved it so much, loved the singing, loved the, the cooking and everything else that they said, you know, are you going to do it again this year? Are you going to do it again this year? Are you like, yeah, sure. Well, I'll do it again. And so that's them. They're making, they're learning how to make vegetarian, vegan food. We teach them the health message. And this is actually, they, they came into our church that Saturday where even some of their parents came in to our church service to watch their kids sing these Christian songs. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Or, you know, they're singing these Christian songs and the pastor is asking them, okay, what happened on the first day? What happened on the second day of creation? And they're answering. Okay, many of these kids have never heard any other story than the evolution story. And we have now exposed them to something different. It's a country, as I've mentioned, um, it's an ancestor worshiping country. When we say ancestor worshiping, it's, a, it's where they believe that, um, you know, after you pass, you are to... Um, offer you offer to the spirits of your ancestors because um, you believe that they will provide you protection. The spirits of your ancestors will provide um, prosperity and money and good luck and you know what you need for the day. So what you can see here is this is actually an altar. The picture you see there, you can I don't know if you can um, if you can imagine one of those like communion altar that they have inside the church about that size, a little taller. You can see all the food that is on there. You see that little curly gray stuff. That's all the incense that they burn. They, that, you know, they'll burn one stick every day, offer prayer to their dead ancestors, stick one the next day, and they clean it after a whole year. They finally clean it on the New Year's. What you see there is actually an altar of a poor family. You can tell, you can see, if you can see the brick right there, that's 
their wall. There's no insulation, there's no paint on it. I actually slept in there and um, she doesn't have AC. She doesn't have a toilet. She doesn't have a heater. It's a small um, room. It's very small. It's actually not even supposed to be there. It's illegal, but because it's cheaper for her to buy a piece of land where you're supposed to only grow and then illegally build a little sort of small house to live on. And even as for poor as she is, you can see where she does put the money because you're gonna put your money into what you can trust, into what you think is gonna help you and give you success. That's the altar of a poor family. And it almost makes me, sometimes I look at these things and it reminds me, what do we put our money into? What do we trust most to give us protection and success and prosperity? You know, they, um, when they offer, they offer the food on this big silver platter. This is an example. You see all these fruits and they sort of, you know, they, they'll put it on the platter, they'll put it on the altar, and they'll pray for the spirits to come eat it. That next picture there is, um, looks like you're burning money, but it's actually fake money. They call it spirit money. What they, because um, what they believe that um, you can send money if you burn this money, you can send it to the spirit world and you can send it off to your ancestors, the ones that need it. And so what you'll do is um, in the, on the certain days, you'll go speak to a fortune teller and you'll ask that fortune teller, you know, what does, what does grandma need over there? And the fortune teller will then tell you, oh, grandma needs a new sweater or, you know, uncle needs um, a new iPhone or something. And so you'll go get the, you'll go buy spirit money to burn. Now, now they also have little, Effigies, so you might have like a little picture of a paper iPhone or clothes of the latest hottest trends and the new sweaters and suits and whatever. You'll buy those and burn them and they'll be sent over to your dead relatives. And uh, just to give you an idea of what that kind of, um, what a kind of world this is that they live in, the reality of what they're familiar with. There's a lady that I, um, I know, she's a very educated lady. She's one of the few uh, women like in the country um, that has been selected to actually pursue a degree that is considered higher than a PhD in the country. And she's a very wonderful lady. Um, our, our staff, our center of influence has actually partnered up with her and her staff to do a little charity trip because she wanted to offer clothes and food to the needy for their new years and so she's a she's just a she has just a wonderful heart of compassion she's a devout buddhist and she is when i say she's a devout buddhist she is the type with a compassion arch she's the type that she will stop at grave sites where there are unmarked graves because they believe that anyone um, who doesn't have family or relatives to pray for them while they're deceased and offer them food and burn the money that they will wander the world never able to move on to the next life. And well, one day she stops at the cemetery, she prays and then she heads home because she's gonna go meet with another friend, a very high level educated Buddhist who has the ability to speak to spirits. She gets home and she speaks to this friend. And as they're speaking, 
a spirit possesses her, enters her, and she starts to speak with a voice not of her own and starts to act in not her own mannerisms. And the friend then starts to ask the questions, who are you? Where are you from? Why have you entered? I'm gonna call her Mrs. Uh, Na. And the spirit then says, we have been watching every day as Mrs. Na stops at the gravesite and prays for the, um, for the wandering spirits. We don't have anyone to offer us food. We don't have anyone to pray for us and offer incense for us. We want you to, to offer us a plate of food and make us food. The friend then says, okay, done. We will do it. Please exit out of Mrs. Na. We will hold the ceremony tomorrow. The next day, Mrs. Na and her friend, they cook up the food. They put it on a silver platter, just like that picture, and they put it on the floor. They then go downstairs and they burn up spirit money, burning up money, praying for the spirits to come in, invite them. They invite spirits into the home to eat the food. They go back upstairs to that silver platter and they find the platter is on fire in a blaze. But while it is on fire, it is not burning anything outside of that platter, though the floor is flammable. That night, Mrs. Na has a dream. She has a dream that the spirits of orphans and old people and all these people look so happy as they're eating the food that they have made for them. And she realizes when she wakes up that, ah, I have done it. I have accomplished what I needed to, to serve these needy spirits. You know, this is not a standalone story. I have a friend who says that, oh yeah, it's, it's not unheard of to see fire just happen out of nowhere near gravesites. This is the kind of reality that this country is used to. Sometimes we forget the kind of spiritual battle that we are in simply because we live in a place where we don't experience them the same way. But friends, that is a reality. Now, most people, you know, I know that when I was first thinking of, you know, going overseas and I imagined <laughs> like living with an open sky, not sure if I would have to pump my own water and wondering if snakes are gonna fall on me from the trees. Although there are places like that, but if someone were to ask me what serving overseas looks like, is it living in jungles? Is it seeing blind men see again or dead people coming back to life? There's one story that I think encapsulates what it means to actually serve overseas. This is um, a group of our friends and there's a couple you can see in the middle there. I'm gonna call them Hugh and Tam. I met them because of my teammates, the Chang family. The Chang family arrived to the country before I did, and they decided that they would make friends with this couple who owned a vegetable stall. They were going to only go to this couple and buy vegetables only from them so that they could develop a friendship and a rapport. When I arrived, they introduced me to this couple and I decided, yeah, you know what? I want to do the same. I want to be friends with this vegetable couple, vegetable selling couple. 
only buy vegetables from them. And, you know, there would be days, sometimes I would sit with them while they're just cutting up their pineapples and putting it down in front of their stall and just sitting and chatting with them about different things. And they became our friends. You know, anything that we needed, we could go to Hugh and Tam for it. You know, if we needed to find something, they knew how to get it for us and they knew how to get for the best price. And um, especially the Chang family, the Chang family became like best friends with them. And, and this couple, you know, when our other teammates, okay, uh, I'm going to call them the, the Smiths, okay, <laughs> the Smith family. I hope we can keep these names straight. The Smith family, there are their other teammates. When they landed, it was Hugh and Tam that took their vegetable truck, helped us go meet with the Smiths, pick up all their luggage, pick up their children, pack it in. And this was, this was, this was way in the evening, while out in the airport, away from the city, drove with us, drove them back, helped unload everything, helped them get settled in a little bit, you know, close to midnight. When we needed something, Hugh and Tam were there for us. They were so helpful. Unfortunately, one day, Hugh and Tam, they lost their vegetable business. But, you know, the Chang family, they really, um, because they were so close, they decided, you know what, we're going to go ahead and hire Tam um, as a helper in the house. And she can, um, you know, at least they can get some income. And so they started going. And uh, one day, Shortly after the Smith family arrived, I get a phone call from, this, from the Smith family and they tell me, I think Hugh is stealing from us. You know, I heard that, I was like, no, 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 no. You know, they have been so helpful. You know, it must've been a miscommunication. Maybe there's some kind of translation, you know, uh, mix up. I'm sure whatever happened, I'm sure that's not what the case is. I said, yeah, you know what, you're right. They've been so helpful. And then a few weeks later, the Smith family calls me up and they say, and the husband tells me, I just saw Hugh stealing from my wallet with my own eyes. We then gathered together as, an, as a team in this emergency meeting to discuss what do we do. And from that meeting, we decided this is going to be a chance for us to demonstrate God's love and forgiveness. So the next day, uh, John Smith talks, uh, decides, I'm going to go with him and we're going to talk to Hugh about it. And I was going to be translator. John then says to Hugh, I want to speak with you about something I saw the other day. When you were at my house, I saw you take money from my wallet. Hugh, he sort of denies it. And he's like, I'm sorry. You know, I wasn't stealing money. It's you know, I know in your culture that you shouldn't be touching each other's stuff, but that's, that's not what was happening. I was just looking at your wallet. I, I shouldn't have been touching your stuff. I'm sorry. John, he then says, I saw you take the money and put it in your pocket. Hugh, and he's, he denies it. He's, he's sort of joking and he's like, are you sure? You know, are, did, you, did you count the money in your wallet? And John, he then, he, he says, I want to still be friends, you know, but I need to be able to trust you. But you know, my daughters love your daughters. I still want to invite you over to my house as friends. He looks at Hugh in the eye and he says, I forgive you. I want to still be friends. I want to still have your daughters come over to my house and play with my daughters. Hugh finally falls quiet and he says, I'm sorry. 
what I did was wrong. Thank you for forgiving me. You know, we were surprised because we weren't sure how this was going to come out. And, um, and then a few weeks later, the Chang family realized that Hugh stole money from them as well. And when the Changs like approached him about it, he denied it. And, you know, the Changs, when I say they became like really good friends, family gatherings, they were at each other's houses. And this was really hard, especially for the Changs, because they had just started reading the Bible with the wife, Tam. And he was, but because of this, they were ready. They were ready to give up the friendship. But Eli Chang, the husband, you know, as he's thinking and contemplating, he looks around him and he sees all the people just burning and praying to the spirits. And he remembers that, you know what, we're in a land that is, that is full of spiritual, that is in the spiritual control of demons. And so he comes to our team and he says, team, I can't do this alone. I want to fast and pray for you. Will you join me? We said, yeah, let's fast and pray. We're going to pray, fast and pray for a week for Hugh. One week after, the day after we finish our week, Hugh messages Eli and he says, my heart is telling me to talk to you. That night, he confesses to Eli everything. He confesses that you know, ever since his family lost their vegetable business, they've been struggling for money. And Hugh admitted that he actually stole from, from the Changs three or four times already. He admits that he did steal from the Smiths. And then in tears, he tells, and he says, I don't want to be this kind of person anymore. I know I need change. And I know I need God. That's the power of fasting and prayer, my friends. We're not perfect people or anything. It's because of the spirit of God working through simply our prayers. Sometimes we forget that we are in a spiritual battle with evil angels fighting for souls in a territory under the rulership of spirits. Sometimes it's easy to just work things up and say like that's human nature, but no, it's because the devil knows how to attack our weaknesses. We're not in a battle of flesh and blood. And if, imagine if more of our believers were fasting and praying, how could the spirit move? Ever since that time, Hugh started reading like pretty much anything Eli would give him. Eli would tell him a few verses. He would read it, gave him a steps to Christ. He would read it. You know, and the thing is, though, it was a little bit haphazard. He'd just start flipping the Bible. And so, you know, you could ask him like, oh, where'd you read from today? Uh, Ezra. Like, oh, okay. So we were wondering if he was, how much he was understanding. A few weeks later, Eli learns he was stole from him again. And this really shook him. But our team talked together. And we said, you know, look. How many times as Christians do we fail God over and over? Hugh hasn't even accepted Jesus yet. Can you really blame him? Eli then decides to talk to Hugh and Hugh is apologetic and he's confessing and is kneeling before him. And he's telling Hugh, I mean, he's telling Eli, you know, I just, I'm so sorry. You know, maybe I just need to go away from you, far away from you and stay away from you. And then Eli shares with him about prayer. 
about how to pray, how to confess, and how to ask help from Jesus. And it's like this light bulb goes off for you. And he's like, wait, I need to ask help from God. Oh, this whole time I've been trying it in my own strength. And so we decided that, you know, it'd be good to have a more structured, formal Bible study with him. And on the first day that I go to meet Hugh, this guy won't shut up. You know, he, and he's talking and he says, and he's saying this. When I first started reading the Bible, there were two things that I read in the Bible that were unlike anything else I've ever read. I've, you know, the first is that God treats everybody the same. Doesn't matter if you're rich or you're poor. He treats everybody the same. No matter how you treat God, he still treats you the same. And the other, and the second thing that I found out about God is the mercy of forgiveness. I've learned that the mercy of God is amazing. There is nothing like it. In our culture, it's very hard to forgive. But the mercy of God, it's so vast. His mercy is magnificent. God is powerful. It's like, you know, the bad thoughts in your head. He gives this power to just knock those bad thoughts out of your head. You just need to be real and honest with God and tell him who you are. And the moment that you are wholeheartedly honest with God, it's like you are stretching out your hand open to him. And he can finally take your hand up to pull you up and save you. You know, I, he hadn't even studied with him, but I knew that he had at least read Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And so I asked him about Genesis 1. And he was sharing what he thought. He said, you know, Eli had mentioned the importance of being honest before. But when I read the first chapter, it became clear. When God spoke, everything that he said was true and it was real. Let there be light, there was light. Sun and moon, there was a sun and moon. Never was there a time when God said one thing and something else happened. And I realized that you need to be honest when you come to the Bible. In all of my 45 years, I haven't found anything like the Bible. And I feel like I'm coming to God so late. I wish I had known that this is what the Bible and God were about. When he said that, I was humbled and a little rebuked. I was humbled because sometimes I forget how much of a treasure the Bible is. That there are people who are waiting their whole lives to learn what we know from the Bible and how often we take it for granted and forget how precious it is, precious it is to people who have never had it. Second, when I say I was rebuked, because when I think about it, it's not really Hugh's fault for coming to God so late. He didn't know what was inside or know who God was like. How could he come to God if he didn't know? The bigger fault is with someone like me, who knows who God is, knows what God is like and knows what's in the Bible and didn't get to Hugh sooner. Romans 10, 14. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him 
of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Again, it's not like Hugh isn't on the internet. It's not like he doesn't know how to use social media. Even in an age of television and, you know, he has a smartphone. He has all those things. But it wasn't until there was a person to actually bring him and show him the gospel that he finally understood what the Bible was all about. How many people have we missed that are so hungry and waiting to know what the Bible has? Waiting for decades. Because maybe we are caught up in chasing something else that we think is important. You know, and I want to maybe, I want to come a little closer to home. You know, how many times do we also come to God so late, so late right? Unlike Hugh, we know who God is. We know what's in the Bible. And yet still, how many times do we do everything ourselves and still, and then come to God last? And we come to God so late when the Bible and God are what we should be seeking first in all things. Not only that, friends, it is really late. It is so late for us in the timeline of mankind and its history. And so I just want to, you know, I would like to put that thought for us out there. Maybe there is someone who knows that you, you should be putting, you should be coming to God first and you haven't been. And you sort of leave him off to the side when you should be coming to God before it becomes too late. Or maybe there is someone who is, um, you know, you know that you are holding on to something and it is keeping you from God. And you want to tell God that, you know what, it's really late. It's so late. It's time to let this go. It's time to let go of whatever is holding us here on this earth because we have been here too long. We think that we're waiting for Christ. No, Christ is waiting for us to finally let go because it is so late, my friends. If maybe, if any of those two things apply to you, I'd like to pray for you for those two things. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, Lord, I, I want to pray for many of us. Some of us are just so self-sufficient, God, and we just, want, we just want to feel like we do something and we act first, Lord. But how much farther and how much deeper the work could go if we would simply come to you first come to you first, whether it's through the Bible, whether it's through prayer and fasting, Father God. I want to pray for those of us who struggle to come to you first, Lord, and instead we wait to come to you so late when we know who you are. God, help us to just simply humble ourselves, 
to simply trust you and take you at your word that you will never in no wise cast anyone who comes to you, God. That we would simply seek you first and put you first and give all our heart to seek you first. And I want to pray for, for anybody, someone that may be struggling to hanging on to something in this world. That what, whoever that, whatever, sur- trying to surrender and they know that it's between you and them, God. Lord, I ask that you give them strength. I ask that you give them the courage to keep coming to you and falling before you at your feet. To surrender, even, even though they may not feel that they are willing, but to will, be willing to admit that to you and offer it up to you. Because, Lord, it is so late. You've been waiting long enough. Lord, we thank you that you are a God. That though we may come to you so late, how merciful you are, that so long as we come to you wholeheartedly with our full heart and so earnestly, that you, you take us where we are. Lord, I ask that you be with each and every person, that the stories may encourage them to know that it doesn't take rocket science. It doesn't take incredible skills. It simply takes a willing heart and love to serve and share about you, no matter where you are, no matter where we may be, Father God. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.